Welcome to the Habit Podcast, conversations with writers about writing. I'm Jonathan Rogers, your host. Drew Miller is a singer-songwriter in Nashville. His songs have a solidity and depth of insight that hardly seem possible for a writer who's still in his mid-twenties, but apparently it is possible. In the fall and winter of 2019, he's releasing two companion EPs called Consolation and Desolation. As the Rabbit Room's content developer, Drew keeps the pipeline of great content flowing. He's also the producer of this podcast and others in the Rabbit Room Podcast Network. I'm very glad to have him on this side of the glass. All right, Drew Miller, so glad to have you on this side of the glass in The Habit. I'm glad to be on this side of the glass. <laughs> um, yes, you are the the producer of The Habit podcast. And I that's not what we're not here necessarily to talk about your role as producer of The Habit podcast because I want to talk about this amazing project that, that you've been putting out that you that you are putting out in the fall and winter of 2019. Correct. Yeah. Um, Desolation and Consolation. Mm-hmm. And we'll get to that in a minute. Uh, but as I said, you are the producer of this of this podcast. Now you're on this side of the glass. Um, and one, one of the uh, peculiarities of our process is that I can't even hear you. Like, we don't have a talkback system. You have to make hand motions <laughs> no. from the other side of the glass. So yeah. we would do this in hand motions, except I'm afraid the, the audience couldn't hear it very well if you were just doing yeah, that. Yeah, we've actually become so fluent in <laughs> hand motions that I'm afraid that it's it's a little bit more difficult for us to just speak That's right, at this yeah. point, after all. So yeah. what, what are your reflections on, I mean, having... Having been listened to this many writers talking about their work, um, I mean, what, 20-something now? I mean, for one thing, editing conversations gives me like a really close-up um, perspective of the conversations themselves. It's almost like close reading a huh. book, but it's like close listening because I'm trying to find any way to make the conversations more compact, which, due to your uh, genius and brilliance, I haven't really had to do very much, oh, um, because okay. they're already very concise conversations. <laughs> um, and that is one thing, is that I've noticed, I, I mean, it's it's almost down to a science, you know, like, um, in the best way, that, like, even though, in terms of content, each conversation goes in a completely different place, in terms of the format, like, it is just I can I can hear where it's going and it has a very like every single one of your interviews has the same um, consistent like momentum really um, yeah it feels like it's all going and I don't I don't know if I have words for exactly like the destination of that but it but it's really cool because yeah. I think I've gotten to know the way that you do this huh. well enough just through listening yeah, that's <laughs> that funny. it's like oh I bet he's gonna you know go here or something um <laughs> But but I think in terms of subject matter, it's just really cool to really hear firsthand that in talking about writing, mm-hmm. you're talking about everything. Yeah, I know. Because writing is a way of engaging with everything yeah. by nature. So it's just broad. Yeah. Uh, and that breadth is really cool. Yeah, writing out. problems... They're never just writing problems. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> as we've said before. I, yeah, I forget which one that you said that in, but yeah, I remember hearing you say that. Um, and 
it's it's remarkable to me to to sort of sit sit in this room and talk to um, people who have. I mean, you know, a lot of these people are actually friends with each other, and and they have a mm-hmm. lot in common. And yet, and yet, the sort of the the variety with which people think about this work um, is pretty remarkable. It's yeah. pretty staggering. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it certainly has given me reason to um, be thankful for the um, for the the relationships in in my life and the friendships and and just understand the extent to which friendship is a is a force of of creativity. Oh know? man, yeah. Not that everybody who's ever been through this po- you know this podcast has been a close friend, but but uh, a lot of them are. Yeah. yeah, and then they're like friends with each other too, even yeah. if they're not close yeah. friends with you. Yeah, and, right. Yeah. Yeah, the solitary artist is not it's not a thing. Yeah, it's, you know, it's just <laughs> yeah. like let's just get that myth yeah. busted. Yeah, right. Right. Yeah. Okay, but the what I really wanted to talk about in this conversation is uh your record or would we call this would you it's a record? Is that yeah, the, yeah, yeah okay. you call it a record. Desolation and consolation. Mm-hmm. So we're sent so over the course of the fall and the winter of two thousand nineteen, you're yes. releasing this album as um as a you know, one song at a time. What, what's the uh, yeah. what's the exact schedule? How's so, that schedule work? To, to be precise, <laughs> um, <laughs> "Into the Darkness" is the first song from Desolation, and it releases September sixth. Mm-hmm. And then the rest of the Desolation EP, which will be that song plus three more, releases in October, oh, the first Friday of October. Then I'm going to do this very same thing with Consolation. So okay. the first song from Consolation will be. The first Friday of November, and then the rest of the Constellation EP is the first Friday in December. Okay, sorry, I had yeah. that all along. I was getting well. Mixed it's up. just you know yeah. the way that you got yeah. to do it these days. Yeah, roll it out slow. Right. This is just now yeah. the the way. It really is the way people do it these days. <laughs> it's my best guess. Yeah, at what okay. will work the best? <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So desolation in October, mm-hmm. Constellation in November and December. Mm-hmm. Um. You, I, I was looking at a at a um, a post that you wrote in the rabbit room when the the Into the Darkness released, mm-hmm. um, and you said you had been noticing that that all the songs you were writing were either about desolation or con- consolation, and you decided to sort of treat that as a theme of this album. Yes, is that were you making a a broad statement that? Everything you've ever written, or everything that anybody writes, is about desolation or consolation. Are you saying just those particular? I'll choose the safe answer and say no. Okay, <laughs> I was saying that the songs in the season of writing that I have been in for the last like year, year and a half, mm-hmm. um, were desolation or consolation songs. Yeah. Um. Maybe it would be helpful to. Um, provide some definitions of, of those. Yeah. Are, are you using yeah. those words in any way that is um, different from how we would normally use them? Or Well, that's the thing about those words is that they are um, very evocative, mm-hmm. I think, by nature. And they're also not super uh, common. Like, yeah. We don't just drop, you know, well, how was your morning? I'm like, well, it was a morning of desolation. <laughs> I'm like, whoa, like if somebody said that to you, you would stop everything you're doing and yeah, right. kind of look at them weird. But um, but I, I first came across those words used together as um, there's this, one of the Ignatian spiritual practices is um, discerning whether you are in a season or a state of desolation 
or of consolation. And those are the only two choices? <laughs> I mean, I think so. Yeah, okay. In that particular, yeah, uh, discipline. And I mean, I think it's a pretty broad thing. It's just, it's just those words give you a start at kind of naming um, what space you're in emotionally and spiritually and all that good stuff. And, uh, and there are several, like, there are sort of rules almost, I think, that are lined out. In the Ignatian practice? In the Ignatian practice of, like, like one that I found the most interesting was don't make major life decisions if you know that you are in a state of desolation. Huh. Because, like, I don't know, I guess, like, you have rash feelings mm-hmm. of maybe rash negative feelings that you should probably not act on uh-huh. um, if you are... At, state of desolation. at New College Franklin, uh, Greg Wilbur, the dean there, he, mm-hmm. he, you know, after Christmas every year, he tells the students, "Don't make any decisions in in February." Mm, you know, yeah, you you things aren't things aren't as bad as you think they are yep. in dis, in in February. It's that stretch of the semester that like there's no end in sight. And yeah, it's you just, think you think you want to quit if there's ever a desolate season. It's yeah, right. January and February. Yeah, yeah. right. And so. Uh, we we still. I mean, I said I was asking about definitions, and I didn't give you a chance to define desolation. So so yeah, what, sure. what do you mean when you say desolation? So where that led me was, um, and when I kind of go down that path of asking what it means, um, I picture a ghost town. Mm-hmm. I think of a place, and it's usually a place. That's the interesting thing. I think mm-hmm. it's usually used as an adjective, desolate. Uh-huh. to describe a landscape. Like, yeah. that's the most common way that we're going to hear that word these days. And um, when we say something is desolate or a ghost town is desolate, we're saying that it's a place that ought to be full of people uh-huh. and it ought to be cultivated and okay. tended to. And there's a sense that that's correct, but... Um, but those things aren't happening. So, mm-hmm. so it's a place where there should be life, mm-hmm. but there's emptiness. And um, one thing that I find really interesting about that concept is that um, we attach negative emotions to that, mm-hmm. but that's not part of the word desolate or desolation itself. Like it doesn't mean sad. It doesn't mean despair. Mm. It just means absence, mm-hmm. empty. You know, <laughs> yeah, and so that almost makes it more haunting. It's just like, mm. no, it's just nothing. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so I think that is the path that I start to go down, and mm-hmm. and and looking for the places in today's world and um, current events that feel desolate, that mm-hmm. feel like places where there ought to be cultivation, but there there's a lack, there's an absence. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So. Um, and then is does consolation mean anything besides just being comforted? I mean, of course it does. Okay. <laughs> so, you know, if desolation is a place where there should be presence, yeah. but there's absence, uh-huh. or there is a, um, the absence is the result of a presence that has fled yeah. somewhere, yeah. then I think... The inverse of that would be in consolation, it's an absence that has been filled. Mm. Um, so there is this motion from loss and emptiness towards fullness. Uh, so it's very wrapped up in um, 
and desolation. You know, yeah. you can't define either of those without the other. Um, so consolation isn't just happiness because, I mean, to be consoled, you have to have walked through some measure of loss or grief mm-hmm. to need consolation. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, those two kind of work off each other. So how do, um, in terms of the creative process, I, and if you haven't been done anything about this, that's that's fine. We can move on. But but I have a feeling you probably have thought about the um, how is creating out of a place of desolation different from creating out of a place of consolation. Oh man! Or do you have to be in in one or the other in order to create? I think this gets at the question of sequence. That's interesting to me because it wasn't that I decided I'm going to write a desolation song today <laughs> because I want to. Yeah, right. And then, you know, like I was writing songs uh-huh. just because I was writing songs. And, um, and as I said, like I looked back after maybe a year or so of a season of a lot of writing and realized once I kind of had this language from this Ignatian spiritual practice that I learned about, it's like, oh, wait a second, those words, like... Mm. I can apply them and it fits like too well, you know, yeah. really well. Wow. And so I think um, that gets towards an answer to your question that is more like, well, maybe the answer itself is another question. It's, it's you know, can you, can you set out with some kind of goal in mind? Like, can I go into something with a concept and just write according to that concept? Does that work or am I forcing it hmm. versus... Um, you know, what comes first? Uh, or, or do I write a song and then later realize what to name it uh-huh. you know, and, and how to um, conceptualize uh-huh. what it's addressing? Um, so there's a little bit of both for me. I realized that I was doing that, and then I said, okay, let's lean into it. Mm-hmm. And now that I know I have a few of each, I'm going to try to okay. write out of a place of those things. Um, so, So yeah. in the Ignatian practice of saying... You know, if answering the question, am I in a place of desolation or in a place of consolation? Mm-hmm. Is I, I wonder if there's any way. Um, I haven't I haven't done much thinking about desolation and consolation, so so I'm tr- coming to you as the expert here. Oh, is no. there any is there any <clears throat> benefit or help or or is is it a helpful practice to say building off that Ignatian practice? Question one: Am I in a place of desolation or consolation? Once I've answered that question, does that affect in any way what I do next in terms of what I'm going to make today? Oh, man. Um, well, that I mean, I guess that's not how it happened for me. Uh-huh. So I don't really know. You yeah, know? okay. I'm sure there's an answer to that question somewhere. But um, for me, I, I kind of went into it more as, I guess, like an aesthetic Mm-hmm. And just, it, it was less like I wake up in the morning and ask like where I am personally, mm-hmm. um, and more a tool, almost like a proactive. And I think this is interesting. This is kind of like what writing is for, and what songwriting is mm-hmm. for, at least for me, is it's it's like a proactive tool to make sense of things before they happen. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know. So yeah, like, sure. And I guess some of it might be like, um, I'm I'm 
both like really tired of the Enneagram and find it useful <laughs> enough to mention <laughs> yeah, right. at this point, but I'm an Enneagram five, which okay. means that like I generally approach things from a distance uh-huh. uh, to begin with. Okay. Like I want to have the full picture okay. and I want to have an objective perspective. So my instinct isn't to wake up and go straight to the subjective question of like, how am I doing? You know, <laughs> that would be maybe more of an Enneagram four route to go. Uh-huh. Uh, but for me, it's like, Ooh, the concept of desolation, fascinating. Let's write some songs and then once my emotions catch up to me and I realize, oh, wow, I'm feeling pretty desolate. Like, <laughs> I have some songs to sing. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? So. Okay. I want to return to the idea that, that you offered earlier and, and we kind of, you know, skipped right past it. But it was actually a really interesting idea. And that is mm-hmm. um, even though we attach um, emotional connotations to the word desolate, mm-hmm. it just means empty. Yeah. And, and, and empty um, – well, play that out a little bit. I mean, the, the, what difference does that make for you to realize that, that emptiness is just emptiness? It doesn't mm-hmm. necessarily mean sadness. Well, for one thing, in articulating a sense of sheer absence, I think you're doing a greater emotional favor to your listener than trying to articulate some heavy emotion itself if that makes sense. Because you want your listener to attach emotion of their own uh-huh. to what you are delivering to them. Okay. So I think even if the goal is to arrive at a place of deep emotion, yeah, the best way to get there is not to try to express deep emotion. Yes. <laughs> it is to describe something that of itself elicits deep emotion. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And so I think probably a good example of that is a song from Desolation called Death of a Dream. Uh-huh. It's um, probably, I think it was the one that I realized after I'd, after I'd realized that I was writing Desolation songs, I was like, all right, well, let's lean into this. Let's get mm. really desolate. Right. <laughs> and you can tell it's, I think it's the most desolate song. Like there isn't a trace of hope exactly um, yeah. until the end at least. And um, it is not talking about sadness mm-hmm. or despair. It's it's talking about a sense of it's it's talking about an absence where there should be a presence. Yeah, and in like the largest degree possible, which is like addressing God. Uh-huh. Are you here or not? Uh-huh. Um, and that. Like you can talk about that, and immediately there's there's emotion that's there. Yeah. Um, when yeah. you when you speak directly about emotion, mm-hmm. your chances of eliciting that particular emotion are really slim. <laughs> and so, even in the case of sadness, yeah. if you speak directly about sadness, what your almost best case scenario is to elicit pity, not sadness. Oh man. Um, I that think that's is a wisdom. really. Uh, well, thank you. Yes, I'm going to take that with me. Sure. Oh, yeah. It's, that that was that was free. It's, thank you. After all you've done for me, you can have that. Oh man, it's all um, the payment I need. <laughs> it's um, and as I said, that's that's best case. You know, you, you may when you start talking about emotion, your your listener, your reader, is in a position to 
adjudicate how well you're talking about emotion. And if you're doing a good job of it, as I said, sadness, okay, I can feel pity. Yeah. Um, or maybe I think, oh, maybe I roll my eyes or whatever. Yeah. But if all you're doing is, is presenting the stimuli that generate sadness, you've got a chance of generating sadness in the reader. Right, yeah. And not, you know, not, just, not just pity. Yeah. You, you still might get it wrong, and and you and you still are are running a risk. It's a risk that's well worth taking, but you're running the risk that your that your listener or reader is not going to feel what you hoped they would feel. Yeah. Oh man. But if they do feel it, they're going to feel it more effectively than talking about the emotion directly. Oh man. Yeah. I mean, it's it's saying here, this makes me sad, mm-hmm. and I think there's truth to. This making me sad. Does yeah. it make you sad? <laughs> yeah. And um, yeah, like I have experienced firsthand uh, p- playing a song that makes it addresses something that makes me sad, and the person listening is like, "It doesn't make me as sad as it makes you." Yeah. And that's like a oh. Which well, is now I'm more sad. With, yeah, <laughs> right. But that's also what happens in the rest of life. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah, you just you can't expect everyone to match your exact yeah. reactions to that's just immature. Yeah. Right. Yeah. One of the assignments I like to give my um or that I do give, also I like to give, but okay. more to the point I do give to my uh online students is um write about a highly emotional scene, probably nonfiction, without using any emotional language. Just mm. tell me what happened. Yeah. Um and um it's pretty amazing how emotional those things can be without the first mention of what's going on inside a person. Yeah. Um, and um, I, um, although one, I did get one person who it's true that they didn't use any emotional language, um, or they didn't use any sort of internal language in describing a sad person, but they spent the whole time describing that person with their shoulders slumped and looking down and sighing and stuff like that, which also doesn't elicit emotion. Again, best case scenario may be pity, mm-hmm. but instead of depicting what made that person sad, they depicted they just showed me a sad person. Their reaction didn't quite yeah. that, which doesn't quite work either. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. Anyway, that's um, fascinating. Uh, I, I had this was a, a live seminar where I had some people in a room. One of whom was a, I think she was a, um, a uh, what do you, uh, like a accounting professor, like hmm. the, some some field that was famous for being you know unemotional. Sure. And and she and she was just really neat woman. She's like I don't know what I'm doing here. I just I just heard about it and I thought I'd come because I've never yeah. done anything like this. And um, when she did her you know scene where she was supposed to. Um, depict a an emotional scene without emotional language she told a story about taking her dog to go get put to sleep oh. and on the way to the veterinarian she she went through the drive through at mcdonald's and bought him two packages of chicken mcnuggets to eat no way for his last, last meal supper. yeah and people were just bawling and, and she would just look around like what just happened i mean I, you know, I didn't know i could do this and it's anyway well that's the ultimate like if you're describing a dog, <laughs> yeah, dog, yeah, that is dying. You're going like, yeah, right. It's almost like the cheat, like you it can is a little get cheaty. past all the rules yeah. because you're talking about a dog. <laughs> That's right, Which is true. Um, all right, so um, desolation, emptiness, specifically emptiness in a place that should be mm-hmm. full. Yeah, consolation is a return. Yeah, um, a place that used to be empty is now full again. Yeah, totally. You got anything else to say about that? No. 
<laughs> um, I think even just as you're talking, I think this will be a term familiar to probably a lot of listeners um, who like Tolkien, but uh-huh. um, catastrophe is uh, super related to the idea of consolation, in my mind, at least. Mm-hmm. Um, it's this unexpected grace uh, that the surprise of it is related to how deep the absence, the mm, former absence yeah. is. Yeah. And I mean, there is nothing that compares to, especially in a story, like an epic story like Lord of the Rings, you mm-hmm. know, to the moment when tragedy is reversed. Mm-hmm. If it's done well. Yeah, right. You know, uh, it can't just be, you know, nonsensical, you know. Yeah. But, um, but man, like, it's nothing elicits an emotional response for me personally. Like my wife, Kelsey, and I just finished uh, reading through the Harry Potter series. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was our second time both, and we were reading it out loud to each other. And for both of us, the first time that we read it, we were young enough that like can't really remember all the details. Uh-huh. Um, and I mean, like, it's just, it's impossible to read that those last chapters of the Deathly Hallows without that eucatastrophe feeling mm-hmm. coming in, swooping in, and the consolation of, um, yeah, at at death's greatest moment when the Death Eaters are triumphant and they're mocking all of the um, Dumbledore's army, right? Uh, and they're saying we have won, and Hagrid is carrying. Harry, who is not dead, um, but has not revealed that he's not dead. Like, that just, it gives me shivers just, like, talking about it, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, you're going to need to post a spoiler alert on the uh, on this episode if you're going to be... Oh, come on. Harry Potter's <laughs> old news. There's no risk. We've all read it by now. Um, well, okay. By the way... I'm assuming that etymologically these two words are connected, right? I mean, did you look it up? I mean, I think so. Uh, you would think so, but... Right, yeah. You didn't I, look it up? <laughs> <laughs> well, now I'm feeling some amount of shame for not looking it up. I've done enough, like, I mean, you're speaking thinking. very confidently about... about oh, uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> In fact, I coined the term consolation. Um, no, I mean, I know that they both are verbs, right? Like at root, <laughs> no. console versus yeah. desolate. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. Like, I don't know if they're etymologically related beyond that. Some of they would have to be, but... It feels like it. Yeah. It feels like they go together. Yeah, right. But, um, one thing I was thinking about as you were talking about um, desolation being... Um, just a thing, not necessarily a, a you know, doesn't have to be yeah. um, uh, sad. Um, one thing that, that you may have heard Andy Osinga say before is how important it is. One reason it's important to write every day is because mm-hmm. if you don't, you just write when you're sad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You write to, to console yourself, I guess. Yeah, don't write songs only at night yeah, when right. you're sad. Yeah. 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 Um, so. At the risk of belaboring the question, uh, is desolation a source of creativity, or is it, or is creativity a way to combat desolation? Hmm. Or, I mean, and I just act like that's a, a 
either or question. There may yeah. be 50 th- things in, in between. For me, I think my answer is more the second. I think Combat, the combating creativity. Yeah, like what, how is it that you phrased? I think I that? said is, is is that emptiness a source of creativity, or is creativity does it elicit creativity insofar as creativity is a way to combat it? I think it's yeah, it's more the second. Um, yeah. And I think what I what I want to say is that like I actually feel a little um, and maybe it's partially like the sort of detachment that I just kind of like have um, in general as a person. <laughs> but like, I don't, I don't necessarily do the like writing only when I'm sad thing yeah. to begin with. Uh-huh. Um, I typically, like if I feel sad and miserable, I hate everything that I write. Like those are oh. the worst times to write for me. <laughs> but, and like, maybe I want to write if I'm feeling sad, um, but it's not like a healthy wanting to write. It's like, uh-huh. um, I just need to like see my sad face reflected to me in a song, like in a mirror. Um, and that's not usually going to get you the good stuff. Uh, and so I generally write when I feel inspired to write. And that is usually more of a happy feeling, uh-huh. more of a consoling feeling. And it almost gives you the strength to, from that place, engage with the emptiness mm-hmm. that you feel at other times. Hmm. Um, and from a place of greater perspective and consolation, you can say, hey, I'm going to talk about this absence and this yeah. loss uh-huh. because I have the tools to do that. Mm-hmm. I'm not like on the ground writhing. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. right. Yeah. A, a recurring theme in the, all these conversations on the Habit Podcast is is the idea that the the writer is telling a truer story than, than the than what the world is is telling, mm-hmm. and um, and so I think the in the case of desolation, you know, where the things that are supposed to fill a space have fled, or at the or at the very least appear to have fled. Yeah, you're telling. Oh no, this this isn't this isn't the final story. You know, there's something yeah. there's something truer than this, and um, and that's a. Um, yeah, that's. I think that's an important part of the the writer's role in the world. Is mm-hmm. I'd never thought of it in terms of desolation and consolation before, but I think your your categories are really helpful to say it in a time Good. of desolation. The the writer brings consolation and says, "No, this is this is how, mm-hmm. uh, in spite of the way things appear, here's yeah. the way things really are." Yeah. Um, but as you say, it may be that you're only in a. It's a lot easier to to tell that story when you're in a place of consolation yourself. Yeah. <laughs> and I think the opposite can be true too, especially um, like, of course, there's a final consolation that wraps it all up in mm-hmm. one beautiful ending. And we are all anticipating that. But um, especially in a culture that is so eager to soothe any sense of pain with false consolation mm-hmm. um, in all kinds of forms. Uh, I think the peculiarity of our encounter today with desolation is that it's through the lens of comfort and like false comfort Mm, and distance. And there's something so haunting and creepy about hearing terrible things happening in the world 
from the comfort of your air conditioned <laughs> life, you know. Yeah. Um, and so, in the presence of false consolation, I think um, addressing the the true desolation that is here also tempers that false mm. consolation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like this isn't it. Like, yeah, we're not we're not made to settle for this uh-huh. sort of cheap. Um, sense of ease and yeah. like prosperity especially if comfort is the absence of hurt yeah right? there are lots of there are lots of ways to get rid of hurt yes and the huge majority of them are not healthy right right um, and so now we're talking about things that go way beyond writing comfort that reduces awareness yeah and desensitizes uh-huh. is unhealthy yeah, comfort that makes us more sensitive to both the depths of joy and the depths of pain. Okay, are help, so we help. yes, and and yeah. so we are now. I'm finding another really useful, a, a really good use of your of your distinction between you know the 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 desolation consolation thing and then distinguishing consolation from comfort because sure because comfort uh, yeah of course scripture talks about comfort to comfort to you my people but yeah. it's but consolation is is that subset of comfort that says we're feeling better because things are restored yes yeah. things true that true peace true reconciliation yeah. and yeah shalom yeah right? shalom absolutely that's um, and 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 prospering and um what's that what's that term that's on the tip of my tongue um hmm. uh flourishing flourishing yeah right? yeah Good Old Testament um, word. That's right. Yeah, yeah. and um, and so I think the, the the creative act or or creative acts lead us toward flourishing, not just yeah. comfort. Absolutely, and that is harder to do. I think it's harder to write a sincerely comforting and happy song than it is to write a sincerely sad song. <laughs> it's harder yeah. to to articulate. I mean, I think it's just, it's harder for us to believe peace and Mm -hmm. consolation when it's handed to us. Hmm. And so it's almost like we have more watchful dragons or like more inner critics that are like, you know, if I'm trying to listen to something that is supposed to be um, giving me some like true consolation in life, I'm going to be more resistant to it because I'm skeptical. Like, really? Like, is this really, is this true? You know? Yeah. And, um, yeah, and I mean, I think the mark of a really good writer is the ability to describe that like deep, true peace mm-hmm. in a way that actually is uh, really, really potent and yeah. and resonates as true. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I heard an album recently from a from a performer who um, I would say has a history of of um, you know, deep, deep, and not always super happy songs. And then this is a a really happy album. Yeah. And I was, I, was a little, I felt a little let down, not because I disagreed with anything yeah. in the album, but just you want to name little, any names? I don't or think you so. Wanna, yeah, I don't okay, think so. Yeah. Cool. Um, it just it, and it may be that I'll listen to it more and, just, and decide I was wrong. I hope so. I, I have theories, but I'll I'll ask you later. <laughs> yeah. And um, and so. Yeah, it was. It, it didn't feel like what you're calling consolation. I've had that experience too. I think the opposite of that experience. Well, I mean, like the opposite, but 
like when I'm describing, like just now when I was describing this sincere consolation, um, to me, like the gold standard of that is the song, Don't You Want to Thank Someone? Yeah. Uh, like, oh my gosh. Like yeah. if there has ever been a song that actually um, throws into focus both the sense of loss and mm-hmm. the inevitability of filling that loss. Yeah. Like, that's yeah. an Andrew Peterson song. That's an Andrew Peterson song. Yep. And if I'm trying to be consoling, then mm-hmm. like, that's my, I'm aiming there. You yeah. It's a good one. So, yeah. all right. Uh, I'm going to have to give you the, the final question. All right. I'm ready. You probably know what the final question is. Hmm. I don't know. I mean, <laughs> you've not been paying attention if you don't know what this question is going to be. Uh, who are the writers who make you want to write, Drew? Uh, uh, I think most recently uh, there's been an album that came out, I think it was a week ago, called Who Are You Now by Madison Cunningham. Okay. It's incredible. Huh. It's so good. And she is uh, just so smart. She's so clever. Okay. I think I love the way that she delivers lines, both uh-huh. musical phrases and like lyrical phrases. Mm-hmm. Um, somehow, like, the tone and the delivery. She's really, really good at um, getting something across that's uh-huh. not just contained in like the literal meaning of the words, if that makes sense. Um, it's like a huge gift and uh, it's excellent. It makes me want to write. I think also songwriter wise, Sarah Groves, mm-hmm. just the greatest example. Like if I were, if somebody were to ask me who like wanted to just start writing songs for the first time mm-hmm. like who should I listen to for like the fundamentals of like this is how you should write a song you know like follow this blueprint I would point them towards Floodplain mm. by Sarah Groves that that's whole a great record it is just through and through just nails every single yeah. you know sticks the landing <laughs> every single line <laughs> yeah yep, every melody so alright yeah. well Drew thank you for being here I know you're here thanks anyway. for having me Oh yeah, always here. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. this is, I, I, I'm really glad that that the audience of the of the habit gets to hear you on this side of the glass. Yeah. Well, I love being here. All right, thanks for talking. Thanks, buddy. Let's talk soon. All right. <laughs> I had looked up the etymology of desolation while you were talking. The Rabbit Room has partnered with Lipscomb University to make this podcast possible. Lipscomb has graciously given us access to their recording studio and the Center for Entertainment and Arts building. We're so grateful for their sponsorship, their encouragement, and the good work they do in Nashville. Special shout out as well to the Arcadian Wild for allowing us to use their delightful song, Finch in the Pantry, as part of this podcast. Check out their album of the same name for more excellent music. The Habit Membership is a library of resources for writers by me, Jonathan Rogers. More importantly, The Habit is a hub of community where like-minded writers gather to discuss their work and give each other a little more courage. Find out more at thehabit.co. This podcast was produced by The Rabbit Room, a 501c3 nonprofit dedicated to fostering Christ-centered community and spiritual formation through music, story, and art. All our podcasts are made possible by the generous support of our members. To learn more about us, visit rabbitroom.com. And to become a member, rabbitroom.com slash donate.